Chapter 40, The Indescribable and Transcendent Joy of Being Wrapped in the Arms of His Love. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Behold, he hath heard my cry by day, and he hath given me knowledge by visions in the night time. And by day have I waxed bold in mighty prayer before him. Yea, my voice have I sent up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. And upon the wings of his spirit hath my body been carried away upon exceedingly high mountains. And mine eyes have beheld great things, yea, even too great for man. Second Nephi four sixteen twenty three through 26 In the ignorance of my younger years, I believed that I would have to be patient, as I would not be able to see the Savior of the world with mine own eyes, but have to wait until the next life. I was so wrong and so far off. Then I developed to the belief that the most precious and spiritual things that have, no, that could happen to me while I remained in the flesh was to see the Lord Jesus Christ with mine own eyes. Once again, I was terribly wrong. I learned that there was more than just seeing with our eyes. Rather, we could feel with our hands and be raptured in every cell of our being as we are literally embraced by the Holy One of Israel. My purpose here is not to downplay the grandeur and importance of seeing the Lord in this life, quite the contrary. One of the many scriptures that brings the greater concept of light beautifully is Doctrine and Covenants 93.1. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me, and calleth upon my name, and obeyeth my voice, and keepeth my commandments, shall see my face and know that I am. As I continued from grace to grace, I discovered the words of Father Lehi that he uttered just days before he gave up the ghost and went the way of all the earth, as stated in 1 Nephi 1.15. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell, for I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Lehi didn't have to wait until the next life. He beheld during his mortal sojourn many great and marvelous things, including the matchless glory of the Lord prior to being encircled about in the arms of his love. As I pondered the depth and meaning of this, it was revealed to me by the Spirit that this was literal, not figurative. As I had first supposed, Lehi and countless others that go unmentioned and or unrecorded are embraced by the Lord himself at the place and time that he has selected. This embrace, which defies all description, is a rupturing which penetrates right through the subatomic particles that com comprise the atoms that combine to create the structure of the molecules of our soul, which exists only during the span in which the body and the spirit are combined simultaneously. For background purposes, M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles was ordained to that high and holy office in 1985. Next in seniority is Dallin H. Oaks, who was ordained in May of 1984. M. Russell Ballard, having been ordained... Did I say Ballard again? Russell M. Nelson? <laughs> Whoops. Having been ordained in April of 1984, is currently serving as president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, because according... To the hierarchy, he is next in seniority to Thomas S. Monson and is the most senior apostle. Elder M. Russell Ballard's grandfather, Melvin J. Ballard, who was born in 1873 in Logan, Utah, and served as an apostle in the Quorum of the Twelve for 20 years from 1919 to 1939. Henry Ballard, Melvin's father, was the first settler in Logan, arriving in 1858 after serving in the Nauvoo Legion under Oren Porter Rockwell, in its effort to protect the Utah Territory from the invasion of Johnson's army. Melvin Ballard served as the president of the Northwestern States Mission of the Church prior to, be call 
being called to the Quorum of the Twelve, and I believe that it was while he was on this mission that he had a marvelous, unforgettable experience, which I will relate to you in his own words. I recall an experience which I had bearing witness to my soul of the reality of the Savior's death, of his crucifixion and his resurrection that I shall never forget. I found myself one evening in the dreams of the night in that sacred building, the temple. After a season of prayer and rejoicing, I was informed that I should have the privilege of entering into one of those rooms to meet a glorious personage. And as I entered the door, I saw seated on a raised platform the most glorious being my eyes have ever held or that I had ever conceived existed in all of the eternal worlds. As I approached to be introduced, he arose and stepped towards me with extended arms, and he smiled as he softly spoke my name. If I shall live to be a million years old, I shall never forget that smile. He took me into his arms and kissed me, pressed me to his bosom, and blessed me, until the marrow of my bones seemed to melt. When he had finished, I fell at his feet and as I bathed them with my tears and kisses, I saw the prince of the nails in the feet of the Redeemer of the world. The feeling that I had in the presence of him who hath all things in his hands, to have his love, his affection, and his blessing was such that if I could receive that of which I had but a foretaste, I would give all that I am, all that I ever hoped to be, to feel what I then felt. I see Jesus not now upon the cross. I do not see his brow pierced with thorns, nor his hands torn with nails. But I see him smiling with extended arms, saying to us all, Come unto me. In this historical narrative, Elder Ballard never used the word hug. But this spirit will witness to anyone who ponders and asks for the confirmation in faith that Elder Ballard was not figuratively, but literally encircled about in the arms of his love. Father Lehi's account of the intimate second comforter experience was, for him, both figuratively as well as literally being encircled about in the arms of his love, was to be both justified and sanctified, which most likely was a marvelous and wondrous turning point in his life and ministry. The face-to-face, literal embrace, second comforter experience of Melvin J. Ballard, chronicled above, I believe to be a literal template and a foreshadowing of that which is the greatest longing of our hearts for the master to call us by our familiar name, which is the supreme indication that he loves each of us with a perfect love and that he knows us better than we know ourselves. Then to be kissed with that holy kiss and to receive of that sacred embrace that melts us to the very core as we arrive in the eternities with exalting joy. In a second encounter with the Lord such as this, uh, in a sacred encounter with a Lord such as this, if the recipient received marvelous, unbreakable promises from him, this is, by definition, the reception of the calling and election made sure. These two accounts are similar in nature to the following story in which Oliver Cowdery is asking in prayer to have the power of translation bestowed upon him because in his youthful naivete, he believes that the power to translate from one language to another is the neatest and greatest thing that he has thus far been exposed to. The Lord then responds to Oliver's request for the gift of translation only to deny his request while at the same moment promising Oliver something more sublime, more exalting, and a million times more significantly sacred than the mere spiritual gift of translation, an intimate second comforter experience while yet in the flesh if he continues diligently to keep the basic commandments. Two of these three sacred comforter experience accounts came directly from the standard works, but all three of them teach participants of the first wave marvelous details about exactly what it is that we are working towards in the here and now to bring about the fulfillment of our foreordained callings to become 
translated gatherers for the Lord. When the church was formally organized on April 6, 1830, Joseph was called by the Lord to be the first elder and Oliver Cowdery being the second. When John the Baptist appeared to them to restore the Aaronic priesthood on May 15, 1829, and when Peter, James, and John appeared to restore the Melchizedek priesthood to the earth again, sometime between the 18th and 28th of May, there they were again, Joseph and Oliver being visited by resurrected beings of immeasurable glory, participating in the wondrous events of the dawn of the restoration of the gospel in its fullness. Surely these were some of the most exciting and fulfilling times of their entire lives. Joseph was born in Sharon, Vermont on December 23, 1805, while Oliver was born in Wells, Vermont, on October 3, 1806. So Joseph was roughly nine months older than Oliver. Oliver boarded with several families in upstate New York as he worked as a teacher to those families, and this is how he met the Smiths and the Whitmers. The prophet's first history states, Lord appeared unto Oliver Cowdery and showed unto him the plates in a vision and what the Lord was about to do through me, his unworthy servant. Therefore, he was desirous to come and write for me to translate. Oliver was sent by the Lord from upstate New York down to Harmony, Pennsylvania, to assist Joseph in the translation work, as Emma was no longer able to function in that role. Oliver arrived on April 5, 1829, and the two of them commenced their work of the translation two days later. Oliver developed a powerful personal desire to be endowed with the gift of translation like Joseph. He is later admonished to be patient and is urged to be content to write for the time being at the direction or dictation of the translator, rather than to attempt to translate himself. Several revelations were presented to Joseph and Oliver in April of 1829, but of particular interest in middle part of section 6 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 17 through 21, I tell you these things as a witness unto thee, that the words of the work which thou hast been writing are true. Therefore be diligent, stand by my servant Joseph faithfully, in whatsoever difficult circumstances he may be for the world's sake. Admonish him in his faults, and also receive admonition of him. Be patient, be sober, be temperate, be patient, have patience, faith, hope, and charity. Behold, thou art Oliver, I have spoken unto thee because of thy desires. Therefore, treasure up the, these words in thy heart. Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am the same that came unto mine own, and mine own received me not. I am the light which shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Every single true disciple of Christ will at some point develop an unconquerable testimony of Jesus Christ, his life, mission, sacred sonship, eternal lives, resurrected body, role as a great high priest, and a testimony of his holy being itself. Being encircled about in the arms of his love while yet in the mortality of the fallen world is part and parcel of the very essence of receiving one's personal second comforter experience. Perhaps the very highest of all the various missions slash purposes of the Holy Ghost is to bear witness of the Father and the Son. Likewise, we too are to take upon ourselves one day the role of a testifier, one who bears holy and solemn witness to the divinity of the Messiah. We also testify that he does indeed come soon, this time in great glory. As is the case with the giving of all spiritual gifts, it is incumbent upon each of us to specifically request this experience in which we are transfigured before him, that we might be encircled about in the arms of his love in every single tangible sense of the words. Amen. Section Concluding Testimony of Many Authors and Many Editors, December 2018 
Attributed to Elder Bruce R. McConkie from the address he gave while serving as president of the Australian Mission from 1961 to 64 comes My Missionary Commission. While this was intended to strengthen the resolve of the missionaries in the field, it is much more appropriate when applied to those of us who are to serve personal anti-missions in preparation for the second coming of the Savior. The commission reads, I am called of God. My authority is above that of kings of the earth. By revelation, I have been selected as a personal representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, he, he is my master, and he has chosen me to represent him, to stand in his place, to say and do what he himself would say and do if he personally were ministering to the very people to whom he has sent me. My voice is his voice, and my acts are his acts. My words are his words, and my doctrine is his doctrine. My commission is to do what he wants done, to say what he wants said, to be a living, modern witness in word and deed of the divinity of his great and marvelous Latter-day work. How great is my calling! If by a tender mercy this book might fall into your hands for your own personal perusal, it is highly likely that you are now awakening to the greater details of your foreordained missions, which you are to serve faithfully for the Lord and to give all glory to God. The desire to serve the Lord as a translated being is a deeply holy and honorable one. By continuing faithfully in this endeavor and by living in such a manner that the Lord might find you ready and worthy of it, this is a gift, an ordinance, and an ordination that will be bestowed upon you through the very hands of deity. The words gathered herein are just the beginning of doctrines that can teach us how to be prepared to receive our own callings and elections and how to have them made sure. We will be exploring these doctrines on a much deeper level in future volumes of this book series. Some of us will be granted the gifts of baptism of fire, others to receive your calling and election made sure. For many, you are to begin, then complete the process of translation. Which of these applies to you individually? So now, a few questions. Do you feel within your heart the power, by the power of the Spirit that you are one of the ones who have been foreordained to not only participate in the unfolding, but to fulfill these end-time personal callings? Do you feel the burning desire in your heart to serve the Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, to the fullest capacity that you have within you to offer? Are you willing to do whatever is necessary to put your faith into action through this service that you might have every ordinance, ordination, and contractual event, including the fulfillment of all pre-mortal ordinations that take place during your mortal sojourn, ratified by the Holy Spirit of promise? The oath and covenant of the priesthood was presented to those of the restored church and to the children of God in the entire world on September 22nd and 23rd, 1832. In section 84, the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 33 through 44, the process of obtaining all that God already has is outlined in glorious plainness. However, it is not just about someday having all that Father has. It pertains equally to the steps involved in becoming all that God is. Are you willing to capture this vision and then do whatever it takes to accomplish this? We invite you now to ponder these concepts and pray upon them to have that revelation brought to you personally through the power of the Holy Ghost and through a potential second comforter experience of your very own. Upon the receipt of your answer, we also invite you to learn of the deeper aspects of these doctrines as they are to be found in the future volumes of this work. We leave all of this testimony with you, be it ever so humbly in the most holy name of our Lord, Savior, and Redeemer, even Jesus Christ. Amen.